0: Well, thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Way Thinker, in addition of the Freed Thinker podcast. As always, I'm your driver, Tyler Vella. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, I wanted to talk really briefly about something that I posted uh, and something that I've been thinking uh, quite a bit about lately. As some of you know, for the past, oh, while, a couple of years, uh, I've been in debates, dialogues, discourses, arguments, disagreements, whatever you want to call it, uh, with non-Calvinists. Dealing with things like the nature of the will, the nature of the atonement, so on and so forth. Uh, I wanted to talk about one of the apologetical methods that um, is driven by non Calvinistic types of theology, and as one of the examples for why I think Calvinism actually serves as a better apologetic. If you'd like to go back and listen to my episode, I think from. Maybe 2016, uh, called Calvinism as an apologetic. I do discuss some of this, but I wanted to develop a little bit of it here, uh, and that is the difference between our answer to the problem of the the so-called problem of divine hiddenness. Um, that is the the objection uh, that if God wants everyone to be in loving relationship, why is it why is he hidden? Why doesn't he just manifest himself? Why is it so hard to believe? So on and so forth. Now part of the problem with this question is that it already assumes a kind of non-Calvinistic structure, that God is sitting in heaven wringing his hands, hoping and waiting for everyone to believe, trying to, to woo everybody, uh, and, and you know, sometimes he gets his way and sometimes he doesn't. Um, now, it's a little bit of a caricature, but I, I my non-Calvinist friends are going to like it, but I don't actually think it's too far off. Um, so, one of the responses that they give to this problem, this supposed problem of divine hiddenness, uh, which, again, uh, I think presupposes their system, not mine, um, and, I'll, and I'll come back to that here in a moment, but one of the, the solutions that the non-Calvinists uh, typically respond with because, you know, people like William Lane Craig and others, other thought leaders in this group, say it, and so it gets, uh, I'm going to say parroted, I don't mean mindlessly parroted, but it gets Inherited without, I think, much critical thought going into if it's a good argument or not, is that God wants to protect human freedom. And so he hides. Um, Because, so they say, if God didn't hide, then it it would make our choice to believe in God, I don't know, indefeasible, indefatigable. I I, I don't know exactly what term you would be, but it would somehow violate our freedom. To choose to enter into a loving relationship with God because God would be so present. Um, now, this is this is somewhat like the response that they give to the problem of suffering, where it's to protect the will. I mean, they're they're all about the will in some ways, and just like the problem of uh, of suffering, where I think protecting the will is a terrible response because. Well, in some cases, that means God doesn't stop a, you know, a, a rape of a small child um, simply because the will is of such a good of the rapist that he wants it to remain free. I'm, I'm sorry, we're, we're not even ethical in, in doing that in, in our life situations. Um, you know, why would God? So, and I don't mean that as a creator-creature distinction. I mean that the, the will is, is, even at our level... Um, uh, necessary to be to be stopped and prohibited to attain the good are we saying that there that there is no such uh, situation under God where um, where he can stop an evil but uh, to protect the good by by limiting and and stopping a will from being free um, so that that but that's a whole different issue so back to divine hiddenness they prop up free will again because well if God was manifest then somehow that would violate our our, our free will to believe. I have a couple different thoughts on this. First, um, I don't think we will to believe, firstly. Um, I, I, I hold to a kind of indirect um, uh, doxastic vol, uh, involuntarism. Uh, I don't think we choose what to believe. I think we are compelled to believe or convinced to believe. I don't think we, our, our will is involved uh, in, our, uh, in our cognitive structures uh, that that, um, that belief formation happens in. So I don't, I don't choose to believe that an elephant is more massive than a mouse. Um, I'm, I'm simply compelled uh, by, by uh, the, the concepts and the arguments and the evidence for it, for example. Uh, I don't think we choose to believe in God. I'm not sitting there going back and forth. Well, like, you know, I guess I, you know, I, I can choose to believe or not to I, I just don't think beliefs work that way. Um, so I, I, don't think, um, that even if God manifested such that we would all be compelled to believe that somehow that would be a violation of our freedom, um, because they, they would need to argue a kind of voluntary, uh, doxastic, uh, sorry, doxastic voluntarism, kind of direct doxastic voluntarism, to, to be precise. So, uh, I'm not sure that that's, that that's the case. Uh, Secondly, um, in, if, if in principle God manifesting himself in, 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 in too much is a violation of our freedom, then in principle that means if God does manifest himself too much so, such that people believe, then he's violated their freedom um, and that He has thought it a good and his desire to do so. Well, it seems patently obvious that this is the, that this is the scriptural, Um, creational situation. This is how God has actually set it up. And this is what God continues to drive history to return to. Uh, If you remember the the creation in the garden, God wasn't worried about uh, not manifesting himself so that he wouldn't violate the freedom of Adam and Eve. uh, The text says that he walked with them in the cool of the day in the garden. Uh, he, He manifested himself patently and plainly. Um, and, and it wasn't a violation of their, of their free will to do so. That was God's created perfect order. Um, so I don't. And, and then, as, as you read through, as you read through uh, uh, redemptive history, you see this continued. God continues to manifest Himself and tabernacle or dwell among His people. You see it uh, when God comes down and manifests Himself as the Angel of the Lord uh, repeatedly. You see it uh, when, when God comes and. Uh, and walks with Abraham or wrestles with, uh, with Jacob. Or um, you see it when he when he manifests himself, uh, fire by day, cloud by night, uh, within the tabernacle uh, among his people in the wilderness, in the temple, uh, within, within Jerusalem. You see uh, Christ coming and tabernacling among his people. That is God among us, manifesting himself to us. We don't say that those are violations of, uh, of our free will, and, and, and even now, as believers, we say that God tabernacles with us. We have the immediate uh, testimony of the Holy Spirit communing with our spirit. Um, that is God communing with us in an immediate and properly basic way. Is that a violation of our freedom? Of course not. Um, in, in, in the future state, in the eternal state, where God, uh, God is, is sits enthroned uh, with, with Christ at his right hand, and, and we all worship day and night— Uh, We don't say that that's somehow a violation of our freedom, do we? So in principle, you cannot say that God, God either manifesting Himself in in small ways, or in large ways, like like uh, you know fire by day, smoke or smoke by day, fire by night, or um, the Shekinah glory in the temple, or uh, the eternal state, for example. um, Those those great ways are somehow a violation of our freedom to choose to believe. That would just be silly. Um, that that principle is, is demonstrably false, and a, a, as the means that God uses to to uh, be present with His people. Um, there, but there's more. There's more than that. There's, that that's not the only problem with it. The other, I mean, the other problem is is that we don't we don't do this in any other scenario, right? We don't we don't say um, that in order to have a true loving relationship, um, one person can't be too manifest, can't be too present. Right? That would be like saying, I can't truly, I can't freely love my wife unless she persistently hides from me. Um, that would just be a, a, an obscenely <laughs> unhealthy relationship. Um, if, if that was the purpose of her hiding, she was hiding to try to get me to love her more. Uh, you know, or, or to try to protect my freedom or something like that. That'd be, I mean, we would need severe marriage counseling for that. Um, if that was the motivation. Now, uh, so I, I think apologetically that those are kind of attempts to use to protect uh, autonomous human freedom as kind of the, the sumum bonum of the goods, uh, the morally sufficient reasons why God would um, either allow suffering or, or uh, be divinely hidden or something like that, um, I, I just think they're bad. They're just bad reasons. So what are some good reasons? Well, I think we can offer many good reasons. Uh, first, I, I don't actually think hiddenness is a problem. Um, Romans 1 tells us that God has, in fact, revealed himself to all of creation via his creation. That his, that his attributes, uh, his omnipotence, his power, his glory have been revealed to all in creation. So I just simply reject the claim that God is hidden. I don't think he's hidden at all. He's revealed himself in Christ. He's revealed himself in the scriptures. He revealed himself in, in creation. Uh, I, I just, I simply reject the premise of the, of the objection to God or the argument against God that, that there is a problem of divine hiddenness. I just reject that God is hidden uh, in any type of substantive manner. Now, given that, I think that all people do know that God exists and are in a relationship with him. Uh, That doesn't mean they're cognitively aware, uh, but we all function within, uh, within God's creation. We all function as creatures within his creation. So the question is not who's in relationship and who isn't in relationship. The question is what kind of relationship does every person stand in with the creator of the universe? Is the God who is present present in grace or in wrath? Are you present in Christ or in your own unrighteousness? Uh, so I just, I, I just again think that some of those questions start with the kind of ooey gooey sappy evangelical theology that I just simply reject. Um, the problem also assumes that God would need to to have, and I, I I preface this a little bit, but that God would even need or or desire for everybody to be in a saving relationship with Him. Um, that type of Arminian. Provisionist, semi-Pelagian, Pelagian, whatever—you know—all these non-Calvinist views—that um, that God is that God is desirous of every single person without exception to be in a in a loving covenant relationship with Him uh, as as a matter of course. Where, whereas the Calvinist is going to say, well, God has decreed the destinies of all that He has that He has elected some to salvation and some to reprobation. Um, I again that type of assumption on on the part of the the objection, I simply just don't accept. Um, So the objection really doesn't land any punches against Calvinism. So what are some of the the responses that we can give to why God maybe isn't hidden, but maybe feels shrouded in some way? That I will concede. Um, That I will say that even for the believer and kind of our existential experience of God— we recognize that God is not immediately present. God is not standing in front of me as the risen Christ right now. God is not bodily present. He's not physically present. He's not manifesting himself. Granted, I have the, the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit, but as any Christian knows, we go through dark nights of the soul that waxes and wanes. Um, there There is a sense where, where our creator, our savior, our redeemer, our king, the, the lover of our souls is shrouded from us. That I will grant. Um, and to that, I think there are some good answers. The first one is, well, that wasn't the case before the fall. That is the case after the fall. And so it seems that sin is running interference, um, that there is something that's blocking that radio wave from going from the tower to our receiver. Um, and, that, and that is, that is sin. Uh, if you look back at an episode I did on the noetic effects and effects of sin and grace, you'll see that one of the things that broke uh, when sin entered the world, when it, had, it w- within our mind, right, the noetic effects or the effects on the mind, was our ability to do all things with reference to the creator. So it broke what's, what, what Buber called the I-thou distinction, right? So that whatever I do, if I'm eating a hamburger, I eat it understanding that, I am a created creature uh, exercising um, dominion within God's good creation as I eat the hamburger. I don't I, and I fully admit this is I, I do not do this as nearly as regularly or as frequently as I do. And in fact, if I pray and bless the food, uh, often I, I will for, even if I, if I make conscientious verbal awareness of that within the prayer, I'll forget it halfway through while I'm eating the hamburger. Right, this is one of the reasons why we say all good things are tainted by sin. Because even our concept, our concepts and our thoughts about them are done without giving the creator the position as creator. We leave him out. We annex him out of it. Um, and, so, and so all things are tainted by sin. This is one of the reasons why Calvinists hold to total depravity. Because everything we do is tainted by sin. And when we do recognize that we are a creature in God's creation and he is creator, we are doing it precisely because we recognize that we have failed to do it properly. Uh, And so even when we do it, we recognize that we fail to do it. Um, So we, we we are totally depraved for that reason. So sin has a shrouding effect in the type of re, in, in the type of uh, uh, interactions uh, that we have with God, God cannot uh, be always manifestly present in such a way because of because of sin. Now, I also at this point I should reject. I should note that I reject, and I used to affirm this. Um, I, I'm 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 no longer, I I was used to affirm it. I used to be on the fence, you know, because I moved towards on the fence. Now I'm on the I'm on the denial side of the fence. Maybe I could be brought back, but. Um, I think there's good scriptural evidence against this. I don't like the whole "God can't be in the presence of sin" idea, um, simply because um, we have so many biblical examples of it, right? So if the if the response to the objection is, "Well, God can't be manifest because God can't be present, it, it, God can't be present with sin," otherwise, otherwise we'd all be eradicated. Um, well, that's again, that simply isn't that. That just isn't biblical. I mean, we see God in the presence uh, of of His people constantly after the fall, and they're not eradicated. Um, We see in Job, we see Satan coming to the very courthouse, uh, to the very the very courtroom of heaven, and standing in the presence of God. Now, there's there's a whole bunch of questions about what's happening in there, but at least in principle, um, it's not clear that God cannot be in the presence of sin without obliterating it. So I just I just don't think that that's a good that's a good response to why um, why sin has a shrouding effect because God couldn't be present um, so I, I, I lean more towards the noetic effects uh, of, of sin uh, the redemptive uh, n- uh, need uh, for Jesus Christ to come by faith for sin and things like that um, rather than this kind of metaphysical inability of God to be in the presence of sin without absolutely kind of involuntarily obliterating it uh, so Along, along this lines, and I'll wrap up with this because it, it goes along with it, along this lines, I think that something like, and I don't normally recommend C.S. Lewis. Um, I, I like C.S. Lewis. I appreciate it. I don't mean that as a slight on him, but I, 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 I don't recommend him simply because I find some of his, even at his core theology problematic, a lot of his secondary and his ancillary theology problematic, and so I have a hard time recommending him to, him to people in, in good faith because even if I want them to read certain sections, I don't necessarily recommend lots of them. But he has a book uh, that he wrote uh, called Till We Have Faces, um, which I think is is an excellent treatment on this theme of, of why must holy places be dark places? Why, why can we not see God face to face? Uh, and and the, the answer of the book seems to be, that we can't see God face to face till we have faces. Um, th- that is, we we are we are in a position where we don't even have the the faces to see God, even if we wanted to. Um, but so often because of sin, we don't. Um, and so there's this there's this existential element where we we need for the culmination of all things, where where while we are being sanctified in Christ, and that is wonderful and glorious to be sure, there is a certain sense where glorification brings us into a state of fellowship with God that we had not experienced before and we will have faces and we'll be able to see him face to face. Um, so we, we we cannot see God face to face until we have faces like his. Uh, I think that though that that's an answer in the right direction for this. So uh, so really uh, going back, I think a lot of what what happens in apologetics and in response to, Um, atheists, when they offer this divine hiddenness objection to the existence of God or argument against the existence of God, um, I just don't find a lot of the answers very good, very compelling um, and I think there's a lot of uh, biblical and, and, and theological warrant itself to, to deny them as good answers. Um, not only can, can I think the atheists can give some pretty strong responses to it, but even if they wanted to just offer internal critiques within Christianity, I think there are some pretty strong biblical reasons for why the free will defense against not only the problem of suffering, but here specifically the problem of divine hiddenness um, are, are just not very good responses. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining. God bless and drive safe.